This is Farm and Table, an Iris original program featuring articles from a variety of publications that focus on farming, food, and the business of agriculture. I'm your reader, Lou Pyatt. Our first article comes from the September issue of Successful Farming. It's an editorial entitled Holding Steady. Amid farm turmoil, land values are rock solid. Farm income and commodity prices have been in a slump since the commodity boom collapsed early this decade, yet crop land values are little changed at an average of $4,100 an acre nationwide. Stable land values could be a financial cushion in the months ahead, with ag bankers expecting farm income to weaken into the fall. The Trump administration's offer of up to $14.5 billion in trade loss payments on this year's production will bolster the sector, says the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank. Analysts say low interest rates and the relatively small amount of land on the market are factors in stable prices. Net cash income has been near inflation-adjusted averages, says former USDA chief economist Joe Glober. Add to that, he says, is the fact that farmers and other investors continue to view farmland as a good long-term investment. Those are all parts of the story, says Pat Westoff, director of the FAPRI think tank. Yet I've been surprised land values have held in there as well as they have, given much weaker returns than the 2010 to 2013 period. Based on a survey of operators in June, USDA estimates the average value of U.S. cropland at $4,100 an acre, almost the same as the 4090 an acre average in 2014. In eight Midwestern states, values declined by 4% to $5,600 an acre over the five years. Iowa was hit the worst with a 17% decline, followed by a 12% drop in Indiana. Yet Ohio and Wisconsin had hefty increases. Cash rents followed the same recent pattern as land prices, averaging $140 this year compared with $141 an acre in 2014, says the USDA. For this year, cropland values rose by 1%, or $50 an acre, from 2018's 4050 an acre, says USDA. Values rose in most states, including the Midwest, although they declined in Iowa, Minnesota, and Michigan. Ag bankers are making more loans and for higher amounts compared with last spring, says the Federal Reserve in a quarterly report. Loans are running far longer periods as well. Bankers also reported additional declines in farm loan payment rates, a potential leading indicator of past due loans. However, the overall increase in financial stress in agricultural lending has remained relatively modest, and stability in the value of farm real estate has remained an ongoing source of support. The USDA says it plans to offer a general sign-up for the Conservation Reserve in December. Enrollment for the ARC and PLC for this crop year was to begin this month with sign-up opening in October for the 2020 crop year. Enrollments for market facilitation program payments runs until December 6th. Our next article is entitled, Eric Hansosha, Agco's COO, is focused on smart machinery for farmers. It's written by Natalina Sense. 
who is the digital content manager at Roots Journey. Eric Hansosha leads AGCO with more than 25 years of experience in the agricultural equipment industry. Growing up in Wisconsin and working on his neighbor's dairy farm gave Hansosha hands-on experience. Some of his first leadership roles came through youth ag organizations. Successful Farming asked this question. Agco is different in the number of brands it maintains compared with several other full-line machinery companies. Explain. Hansosha. There are different customer groups that have different requirements out of their machines and out of the experience they want. With multiple brands, Agco can target those segments specifically. One brand can go after segment A and another after segment B. We're really calibrating both the machinery as well as overall support and buying experience specific to them. It's an advantage we have that some of our competitors don't have in that they have to try to stretch fewer brands or just one brand across all segments. Successful farming. Farmers are dealing with a high level of uncertainty, prices, weather, and global trade. What keeps you up at night? And so should. I would start with the challenges our customers are going through. I feel for them. Farmers know that they've signed up for a business that is cyclical, has risk in it, and some give and take. But recently, there have been many challenges stacked on top of one another. That's one of the things that occupies a fair bit of my attention and our company's attention. How can we help our customers deal with these issues? In the long term, there's a lot of change going on, not only in our industry, but also with technology, digital, and automating of machines. Successful Farming How is AECO working to help or emphasize with farmers? Hansosha, AGCO has a broader solution set than any of our competitors. We have our full lineup of machinery, and we have grain and protein business. Through GSI, we have protein production systems for both swine and poultry, drying solutions, and seed treatment solutions. We also bought precision planting about two years ago. We look across those solutions now with precision planting and we know more about the planting operation than pretty much anybody else in the business. This year, planting was severely challenged due to the weather. We're looking at those areas that were most challenged and asking how we can help those customers by connecting them with grain drying solutions in the fall. That shows them our partnership by saying, hey, we know an issue that you had in one part of your cropping cycle is going to cause you other issues. If they planted late, that crop is likely to mature later or be harvested at a higher moisture level. A grain drying solution may be something that will help them be more effective this year. What is the next thing from AGCO? And Socia. What I really get excited about is the strategy that's running through the core of our company. The Fent 900 tractor follows the 1000, the most intelligent tractor in the world. The ideal combine could be the most award-receiving machine in ag. The momentum planter we launched in South America this spring is collecting data with the latest technology from precision planting and has a whole new smart frame concept. There's Fuse, our remote monitoring LOT platform. We're going to launch the new AgCo Connect platform, which is both a customer and dealer portal for people to remotely monitor their machines and optimize how those machines are being used. 
We're carrying that same mindset into our grain and protein business. GrainViz adds intelligence to the grain bin to monitor the properties of the grain inside. It's about full, smart solutions from end to end through AgCo. Successful farming. Tell me about someone who has been influential in your ag career. Hansosha. One person would be my neighboring farmer whom I worked for growing up. I got to learn about farming by working on his farm, and he taught me a lot about the whole industry. As I went into FFA, my advisor was influential. FFA is not only an agriculture organization, it's also, and even more so, a leadership organization developing leadership in young minds. I think both of those people are very pivotal. This is the biography of Eric Hansosha. He grew up participating in 4-H, FFA, and Wisconsin Junior Dairymen's Association. He started his career with John Deere, living both in the U.S. and abroad during his 20 years with the company. Six years ago, Hansosha joined AGCO and now serves as the Chief Operating Officer. He has a Bachelor's in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Wisconsin and an MBA from the University of Iowa. Our next article deals with a controversial topic. Is entitled, Can We Talk About Pot? The article is written by Tony Drevis. <clears throat> what does it take to grow this crop legally in Michigan? A real crop farmer goes into a marijuana greenhouse. In a nondescript building just across Interstate 96 from the Michigan State Police Headquarters and Training Academy, workers move in and out of what could be any manufacturing facility in the U.S., the white square structure on a particularly warm summer day buzzes with activity as workers put down pungent blacktop as part of a new road to the warehouse. Employees come and go. The dank smell that's slowly becoming more familiar throughout the U.S. is in the air. However, leaving little doubt that Green Peak Innovations is a marijuana production center. We saw a bunch of security guards walking around, so we knew we were in the right spot, says Chad Davison, 37 a farmer from Fergus Claus, Minnesota, who was visiting Green Peak Innovations Grow Warehouse for a few hours with Successful Farming Magazine to get insight into how marijuana is produced. If you didn't know what you were looking at, you wouldn't have been able to pick it out. Hemp versus Marijuana Green Peak Innovations opened its new building in February, supplying marijuana to the state's legal medical market. Residents last year voted to legalize adult use or recreational marijuana in Michigan, and sales are expected to start at the end of this year or in early 2020. Cannabis plants are grown for both cannabidol, or CBD, which is infused into lotions or other oils for medicinal purposes, and for marijuana that's smoked or made into edible products as an intoxicant. Marijuana is still a Schedule I drug, according to the Drug Enforcement Administration, on par with heroin, LSD, and ecstasy, but state legalization is slowly spreading. Washington, D.C. and 11 states, including Michigan, have passed laws to allow adults to purchase marijuana for personal use, while 34 states allow some form of cannabis to be used medicinally, according to Leafly which touts itself as the world's largest cannabis information resource. Marijuana and hemp, which was legalized on a federal level with passing of the 2018 Farm Bill, technically some came come from the same genus, cannabis, 
and look and smell the same when growing, according to a report from Tom Melton, a professor with North Carolina State University Extension. The difference is that hemp plants contain no more than 0.3% THT, while marijuana is considered anything that contains more than 0.3% THC. Generally speaking, marijuana plants contain 5% or 20 to 20% THC, Melton says. You can't get high on hemp, he says in his report. Value-added crops versus commodities. Davison, who grows several crops including coin, soybean, alfalfa, and sugar beets on his 45 acres he owns co-owns with his father, Brent, says he made the journey from Fergus Falls to Lansing in a bid to learn more about the production of cannabis. He planted 25 acres of hemp this year to expand his stable of alternative crops. Low prices for corn and soybeans, nonstop rainfall this spring, and an ongoing trade war with China that diminished his ability to sell his agricultural products all led him to adding hemp to his rotation. Our focus going forward is on value-added crops versus commodities, he says. Hearing the trends, there's a lot of noise about hemp, so it makes sense to give it a try. Hemp plants typically reach between 6 and 15 feet tall, depending on the variety and climate. Just as one acre of hemp can yield about 700 pounds of grain, which can be processed into 22 gallons of oil and 530 pounds of meal, according to a June report from the Agricultural Market Resource Center at Iowa State University. An acre of hemp also will produce 5,300 pounds of straw that can be used to create about 1,300 pounds of fiber, the MRC says. Industrial hemp may be an excellent rotation crop for traditional crops because it supplies weeds and decreases outbreaks of insects and disease problems says the group's website on industrial hemp. Hemp may also rebuild and condition soils by replacing organic matter and providing aeration through its extensive root system. About 24% of hemp is used to make personal care items. 19% is used in CBD output. 19% are used for food. 18% is for industrial applications. 14% are used in production of consumer textiles and about 4% are used in supplements, and 2% goes in other consumer products. Data compiled by the AMRC shows about 9,770 acres were planted with hemp in 2016, with that more than doubled to 25,541 acres in 2017. Colorado was the largest grower at 5,921 acres in 2016, and 9,700 acres in 2017. In Minnesota, only 51 acres were planted with hemp in 2016, but that ballooned to more than 1,200 acres a year later. Capitalizing on hemp's diversity. Sean Henrahan, the production manager at Green Peak, has been producing cannabis since he was a young man growing up in the Quad Cities in eastern Iowa. He'd plant marijuana plants along a disc golf course in the spring and come back in the fall to see if they'd grown. He says hemp production is becoming more popular not only because of legalization, but also because it holds promise due to its medicinal properties and countless industrial uses. During a sit-down meeting at the Green Peak office near Lansing, Hanrahan tells Davison that as a hemp producer he can potentially capitalize on demand for medicinal products made from CBD including oils and pills, 
while also selling remaining product from his hemp fields to makers of industrial items such as rope and clothing. Seeds from hemp can also be eaten, creating yet another avenue for sales, Hanrahan says. The population is exploding in the world, and there are only so many places we can continue to keep cultivating food, he says during the meeting. For the textile part, we can keep growing timber, but it takes so long from start to finish where cannabis hemp is a nine-month crop and can produce enough textiles to make clothing and food. The seeds are delicious. They're high in protein, and they also hemp crete is something that is utilized in South America that actually is earthquake-resistant. It flexes a little more than traditional concrete. Marijuana and Agriculture Hanrahan says he was a clandestine grower of marijuana until he moved to Colorado to participate in the burgeoning legal industry. He then took his talents to Lansing and considers himself to be a farmer in the traditional sense of the word. Namely, he produces an agricultural product. At the end of the day, he says, he and his fellow marijuana growers face the same challenges as any farmer, having to understand what makes particular plants grow, how to avoid pests and disease, and of course the business side of the industry. The same common aphids and mites and beetles and fungi and mildews can affect a crop and lead to a loss of revenue. The traditional understanding of licensing requirements registering with the EPA and proper irrigation techniques are some of the similarities marijuana production has with traditional farming, Hanrahan says. Spotless Facility Green Peak's facility is a far cry from what you might expect from a marijuana production warehouse. The entrance to the building looks more like the entryway to an upscale office with glass-enclosed meeting rooms, coffee makers, and an area where employees can conduct business or eat lunch. Behind closed control doors in the company's actual production facility. It has a clone room where seeds are planted and sorted by a variety, a mother room where they begin, where they begin growing, a vegetation room, several flower rooms where they increase in size, a dry room where they're hung and left until they're ready to be cured, and cure, trim, and packaging rooms. The clone, mother, vegetation, and flower rooms all have high-tech LED lighting that simulates sunlight to allow plants to mature. The lights are left on for 12 to 24 hours a day to encourage growth. The entire facility is immaculately clean. To keep it that way, employees and visitors must wear clean suits into the rooms, beards must be covered, and anybody touching plants must wear disposable gloves to keep from introducing foreign contaminants to the growing plants. After marijuana buds are harvested, they're either trimmed and packaged for sale as flowers or infused in one of the various products the company makes. Candies are a popular way for people to consume cannabis, and Green Peak has an entire division decorated to making everything from taffy to shatter to chocolates. Hanrahan says he would like to see marijuana infused into higher-end foods and has dabbled with cooking gourmet meals using the product. The work isn't easy. Cannabis production is still in its infancy due to the federal scheduling of the drug. That's evidenced by the lack of equipment, production protocols, and other items traditional farmers take for granted. Production equipment lacking. On his 25 acres of hemp, which he wants to increase in the future, Davidson says he uses a John Deere DBD-66 planter 
a 5075E tractor with a tillage, tillage implement for weed management between rows and a single row harvester that he'll use to harvest the crops. I'd like to see better weed management tools developed to help eliminate the hand weeding within the rows and more efficient harvester developed one that can handle more than one row at a time yet be able to cut plants that have thicker diameter stalks, he says. At Green Peak, almost all tasks, including planting, harvesting, trimming, and packaging, are done by hand. The lack of mechanization was a surprise. Davison says, although it reduces the likelihood that plants can be harmed. There's more opportunity for contamination with more machines involved, he says. Doing it by hand is more tedious, but you don't have to worry about any foreign contaminants in the machine. I just thought they would have had something figured out by now. Davidson says he would consider growing marijuana if legalization is expanded in Minnesota and if he can land some of the coveted licenses that state likely will award if the drug is descheduled. He sees the 25 acres of hemp he planted for which he has a contract with an unnamed company as a jumping-off point rather than a test plot. Marijuana is something we'd consider, he says. I don't want to say no to anything until we have a chance to look into it. I want to be prepared to say yes or no when the time comes. I just don't want to be unprepared so that the decision is made for me. The state has less than a handful of marijuana producers now, and more probably will be warranted due to the demand for the product that's up to the Minnesota lawmakers, he says. With medical marijuana already legal in the state of CBD hemp starting to gain traction, he believes it's just a matter of time before adult-use cannabis is legalized. Adrian Almeida, the chief operating officer at Green Peak, so as previously the chief innovation officer and vice president of operations with Nature Suite, the largest grower of tomatoes in North America with 2,000 acres and greenhouses. At first, he rebuffed executives at Green Peak because he wanted to keep working in food and had an offer to work for a produce company in Barcelona. After much research, he changed his mind and accepted the position in January. During the meeting at the company's facility, he says about 60% of people he told rejected the idea of working for a marijuana producer, while 40% thought it was a good opportunity. I don't think there's a lot of industries being created like this one. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get into an industry with such a large social impact, namely quality jobs being created and the wonderful production and brands behind the industry. It's a lifetime opportunity. Cannabis Markets Jeff Caprillian, who was also on the tour of the facility and met with Hanrahan, says he believes at some point there will be a futures contract dedicated to hemp and eventually marijuana, much like there is now for corn and soybeans. The contracts likely won't be available for several years, he says, and they'll likely be more linked to hemp than marijuana due to acceptance and, of course, legalization. Hemp producers, including Davison, wouldn't be able to use the contracts to manage their risk. The job of the futures market isn't to exist for speculators, it's to exist for risk management, says Caprillian, the director of brokerage services at the Huber Report, a commodities brokerage service based in St. Charles, Illinois. When you have contracts in pure spec, they have no volume. Pork bellies, for example, if cannabis contracts were to exist, they'd have to be weighed heavily toward the hemp side. 
Still, there's not enough information at this point for a future market on cannabis, and there likely won't be for five or ten years, he says. Looking like beer and spirits. Hanrahan says he sees the cannabis market eventually looking similar to the beer and spirits markets where it's federally legal and each state has its own laws. The alcohol industry is split into production, distribution, and retail categories under which producers must sell to distributors who are then required to sell to retailers. Caprillion, the commodities broker from Illinois, says Greenpeak, while obviously a well-organized company, may be trying to be everything to everybody which doesn't work in the commodities business. For now, since the industry is in its infancy, a company like Greenpeak can get away with attempting to handle all the parts of the business, the so-called seed-to-sale model. Big companies are watching. Large companies are taking notice. Pepsi and Coca-Cola both say they've considered entering the CBD-infused product market. And Constellation Brands, the maker of Savetka Vodka, Corona Beer, and Robert Mondavi Wines, last year took a $4 billion stake in Canopy Growth, a Canadian cannabis company. American Eagle Outfitters and Green Growth Brands, based in Ohio, recently announced a deal in which the retailer will begin selling CBD-infused lotions and balms in about 500 of its stores. Abercrombie, in June, said it would sell Green Growth's products in 160 stores. Hanrahan says that's a trend he sees continuing, which is good for news for producers like Davison who want to grow hemp for CBD products. Ag too volatile not to diversify. The agriculture industry is too volatile these days and not to not diversify, Davison says. Industries like cannabis production only come around every once every two or three generations, so it makes sense to at least try to capitalize, he says. Absolutely, it's too risky to not diversify, he says. When prices are in a reasonable range and you have two bad years of weather, it takes many years to recoup that. It could be devastating for some farmers. Diversification helps to withstand fluctuations in the market and the weather. Growing hemp is a good way to get started in the cannabis industry, but if and when marijuana is descheduled, Tavison says he's ready to jump into the legal industry. It won't be easy, however. In states that have legalized pot require a license to grow, and they're not cheap or easy to acquire. He feels that his role as a farmer will help him land one of the coveted licenses because state governments like keeping money within their borders. States want to support their local farmers, their local business people, he says. My opinion is that there will be grower initiative of some sort, which makes sense to me. They can tax it, and if their local farmers are more profitable, that's an impressive amount of income that the tax the state can generate. It's not just his agricultural background that will be help him, Davison says, his background in business and his education. He has undergraduate degrees in international business and Spanish from Minnesota State Moorhead and a master's in business administration. will all likely look good on an application. What will help me individually is my business background, he says. There's a lot involved to get where these guys in Michigan are. You've been listening to Farm and Table, an IRIS original program. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped.